it's not about impact fees. It's really about how do you feel about debt? Are you going to keep piling up debt and just saying that's all that my kids to worry about it? Kind of like we're doing on a national level. I'm not down with that. Howdy. You're listening to the Think Brasses podcast. Maybe you haven't heard of an impact fee before. If you have, you're probably a local government nerd. It's cool. We are too. So welcome to the club. For any of our listeners who haven't heard of an impact fee, I'll read the definition from the College Station City website. As defined by Chapter 395 of the Texas Local Government Code, impact fees are a one-time charge or assessment imposed by a city against new development at building permit in order to generate revenue for funding the cost of capital improvements. Water lines, sewer lines, you don't want to get those mixed up, streets, etc. related to the new development. Basically, it's an upfront, one-time charge to pay for future expenses related to a development project. As with any issue, there are people for and against impact fees, and we've interviewed both. Whatever you think of impact fees, we can all agree that we want everyone in College Station to benefit from the growth we're experiencing. In this episode, Charles Coates sits down with Fred DePriest. By the way, this is Mr. DePriest's second time on the Think Brasses podcast, and he is a professor of practice at Texas A&M University and a former member of the local group College Station Association of Neighborhoods. We are joined today by uh, Fred Dupriest. He is a retired petroleum engineer, uh, was with ExxonMobil, and now uh, is a practice professor, professor of practice, practice yeah. at Texas A&M University. So, Mr. Dupriest, thank you so much for joining Think Brazos today. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here, Charles. So, we wanted to talk today about impact fees. Um, as we're recording this, we are in November of 2021. And impact fees is coming back up on the agenda at the City Council College Station. Uh, it seems to every number of years, um, probably every time it comes up, there are interests on one side or the other about it. But uh, I understand that you've um, paid attention to impact fees for a number of years. Um, so I just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on, first of all, what do these things do? And then um, we can go into also a little more detail what your thoughts are. on. Well, first, uh, I'm not an expert on impact fees by any means. Um, it came up a few years ago uh, when I was on the board of the CSAN, mm -hmm. the College Station Association of right. Neighborhoods. And at that time, uh, I spent some time looking at it and, and got involved with people who had been involved over 10 years. So... What we concluded at that time was it's really a, a, an exercise in math. Okay. And it was not a, it should not be an exercise in dogma or identity politics or, sure. or kind of some of the principal arguments you're hearing. It's really a problem of math and city debt. So what, what you start with is really a nomenclature that, that's problematic. And when you say it's an impact fee, mm -hmm. it suggests I'm going to charge you for something I didn't used to charge you for. Or I need more revenue, so here I'm going to go after you. I need more revenue. It's really important to understand what it actually is. The, the impact fee is actually a sub... You, the, the developments that we build mm -hmm. are subsidized. 
and the fee oh. is a reduction in that subsidy. How do you mean subsidize? Well, so what Texas State did uh, in law is they said, we want the cities to be able to control the sewage, how it's done, mm -hmm. the fresh water, the, and transportation. Mm -hmm. All those things need to be coordinated as a city grows. Oh. So we understand as a state that the city must be empowered to control all of that. But the city shouldn't have to pay for it when a private individual investor goes out and develops a neighborhood to make money. Because mm. if the city just pays for everything, there's no incentive for the neighborhood to spend less money. Sure. In some of the connecting things. Now, the city does not pay for things inside the neighborhood. The developer does. But there are impacts out of that. If I had a, uh, 800 homes and, and there's two cars per home, then I've got 1,600 more cars using the street, and sure. the city has to expand the street. So all of those impacts that happen from development, the city was having to pay for. And the state said, that's not right, because you end up having to tax everybody in the whole city, and the developer is a private investment company making money. They're there to make money, not build okay. houses. Yeah, and, and I'm not being, um, uh, developers take great pride, just like Habitat or anybody yeah. involved in creating housing, because that's such an integral part of our lives. Absolutely. But the reality is that they're a corporate entity that makes decisions based on profit. Right. So we need to first understand that. And so what happened was that, that the state said, um, rather than the city having to pay all of those incremental connecting costs, the city can recover a lot okay. of that. The formula is, if I understand it correctly, that you calculate all those connecting costs and you have two choices. Either you very specifically calculate what the impact is going to be and you can charge that, but you have to account for all the tax they're going to play, pay. Okay. So, like so first you, you get all your costs and you subtract. You say, but they're going to pay all this tax back and I'm, I can't, I'm not allowed to charge them for that. Okay. So when people say, oh, but it's going to make money for the city. Well, that's already accounted for. I had to subtract that money it's going to make for the city. What's left is what the state says you can charge them for. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So what I think you're saying is that... An I guess however many years ago, the, the city realized that a new development comes in, even with all the taxes they will pay over the years, you're saying it's a net loss for the oh, city. Oh, absolutely. And it's about 50%. So this, that's why the state says you can either do a standard 50%, meaning you can, you can, um, you either take all your expenses and reduce it by 50%, and you're not allowed to charge that 50%, but you are allowed to charge this 50%. Mm -hmm. And what they're saying is, yeah, you're never going to recover this. So for every new neighborhood that gets built, probably about half of our connecting cost is never going to be recovered. And that's with the impact fees? No, that, that's without impact okay. fees. So what cities have done, though, is they've never charged for the part that they're never going to recover. I see. They've just kind of eaten those costs, <clears throat> which kind of leads to another reality is that you can do that if growth is very slow and you're willing to make your whole city pay tax for every neighborhood that comes in to cover that 50%, which they will never return to the city. 
that's not really what happens, though, is from what I've read, that what cities do is they recognize that, that neighborhoods always lose that money, that 50%. Okay, they lose it. But so I put a dollar in a neighborhood, I might get 80 cents back over time. I'm losing 20 cents. But what I count on is getting a dollar 20 from business. So the way we equalize this out and make the balance, the budget balance in a city budget is we get more return from every dollar we put into a business than every dollar that the city puts into a neighborhood. Right. So that's a really critical balance. And if you can get those to balance, then you don't go in debt. So, so, it's, so, so it's harder for, for that balance if the growth is really quick. Is that some of the issue? When the growth is really quick, then you pile up debt really quickly because even with all this, that 50% takes a long time to recover. And sure. suddenly you find yourself with a mountain of debt. But you got another level of problem, which is that does it ever pay for it? Do you ever get that 50% back? Um, in the state, farm is kind of saying you don't. You don't get it back from the neighborhood. You get it back from business paying more than their fair share. <coughs> and that, <coughs> that's a loaded term. It's not, sure. not right to say more than their fair share because every city structures it with that knowledge. Okay. And it's just given. So what what happened was that in the early 2000s, people started realizing that the numbers weren't working. And one of the reasons the numbers don't work is that in a normal city, and it's just a small part of it, but in a normal city, your business brings the people. Yeah. And so for every people you're losing money on, you've got a business you're winning on. A&M brings our people massively, overwhelmingly, and we have probably tens of billions of dollars of property and assets that pay zero tax. Interesting. Our people are brought by a business entity that pays zero tax, not even sales tax, wow. if I understand that right. I'm not sure, but that's... So wow. you can understand that we have a structural math problem. Mm -hmm. If you read about <clears throat> Clemson University mm -hmm. or any of these big universities in small towns, those small towns struggle for, from exactly the same structural challenge. Mm. Now, as time went by in the early 2000s, we could see this, this formula wasn't working for us, right? That business was not paying for their growth um, or making up from the shortfall. Okay. And again, there's nothing wrong with that model. Right. If it works, it works. And, and you want to air toward bringing families and children and because yeah. there's a critical mass of things you need to make a healthy community there um, including a diversity of jobs and and scale and upward opportunity and all kinds of things that happen when you really encourage neighborhoods so <clears throat> uh, then that's why they started saying well can we afford to be subsidizing for free an individual investor mm -hmm when actually we're not balancing out. And today, at this point, we have over $300 million in debt, which is stunning. Yeah. Uh, someone noted about three years ago in a city council meeting that of all the property tax we all pay, 40% of it at that time did nothing but service debt. That's 40% that's not building roads, not yeah. upgrading sidewalks, not, not uh, funding affordable housing uh, initiatives that yeah. could be funded or... You, when you when you grow debt, mm -hmm. um, it 
consumes more or more of your base oh, yeah. business. And it really constrains what you may be able to do when you, and what you should be doing uh, in the first place uh, and mm. is just what cities do, right? Right. And especially maintenance, a new neighborhood I must deliver to connect it. Right. I, I'm totally obligated to do that. Maintenance on Old Street, not at all. And so you start to compete. You start to see your subsidy of of growth right. starts to compete when you have high debt. Mm. Now, if you, everything can stay in balance, it wouldn't compete at all, but yeah. it's not. And but it sounds like it's harder, from your view, it's harder to stay in balance with the university. That There's something specific about that that makes it harder. Um, they don't pay any tax. Right. They still bring people, which makes houses, and people, which makes houses, and people, which makes houses. How much of our growth has been due in houses has been due to the growth of the university in the last 15 years? Good point, probably. Well, so I'm waving my hands around, and you really have to do numbers and say, what is the value of the land at the university that we're not taxing? You've you got to do all the math. That's the math that city council, in my mind, has asked staff to go back and do. And it's a little bit surprising that we, we have never done that. We do our budget one year at a time. We kind of anticipate five years, but we've never said, does growth pay for itself? Mm. How short is the shortfall? Mm-hmm. And if we don't know that number, then we can't scheme or strategize or figure out really smart ways that do hurt, don't, don't hurt people. Yeah or limit the damage or shift the pain or we can make smart decisions but um, what the council is asked for right now is really critical and of course we, we don't know that we're, right. we're, we're energized by there being a conversation about mm-hmm. impact fees but it's really really important people understand that it's not about dogma it's not, it's not a tax it's a reduction in a subsidy it's, it's not because people are mean it's because we got $300 million in debt. Uh, two or three years ago, the, the, center, um, the real estate center at A&M did a, uh, wrote an article that said we had the second highest debt per capita of any city our size in Texas. I was going to ask that, how it stacks up. Wow. And only Beaumont was worth, and a hurricane had just run over them. They had reason for infrastructure rebuilding debt. That is terrifying. Wow. So something is terribly wrong, right? Yeah. And um, um, we, we need numbers to understand what that thing is. And, and I'm excited, you know, that we have leadership in this council that's saying, we're, we're going to quit kicking this down the road. We're going to ask some hard questions and we're going to figure this out. One of the things I noticed uh, when I was looking into impact fees in College Station is it appears as it stands right now that impact fees are across the board, uh, meaning that it doesn't appear that it's like, okay, this part of the city costs the city less to build than, say, this part of the city, because typically that's how cities work. Some parts are cheaper to build in than others. Some forms are cheaper. And so I noticed that it seems like the fees are across the board. You build a new development, here's what you pay. Do you think that they're they're looking at maybe being more creative and flexible in the future it, it, with it, this concept? It, there's a couple of, in my, as I understand it, again, I'm not an expert. Sure. Um, the, um, 
there's, there's a couple of angles on that. There are different fees for different parts of the city. We've been divided into four zones. Um, and in the Chamber of Commerce video that Professor Perdue did, mm-hmm. he does a good explanation of that. But you can also go back and just look at the conversations that staff did probably even better to go to those their online stored videos you know from the from the council meetings and um and you can see how that works but those zones do have different impact fees the impact fee comes from looking 10 years into the future and saying what do we think will happen here and what they think will happen is different with those different zones so definitely a more distant zone like the far south end of college station Another neighborhood there is going to cost a lot more right. than a neighborhood uh, close into the campus, and the fees reflect that. Now, okay. we have we have water, yeah. sewage, um, stormwater, and transportation. Those are the only kinds of fees that the state law allows us to uh, subsidize, and um, uh, there are other growth fees like a fire station. Right. That's not one of those four. Oh. And yet a new neighborhood may precipitate a new fire station. So the, sure. yet again, there are a lot more things that are vary across the city and what growth costs us. And, and again, what we call impact fees, it's really a subsidy. And we're subsid- our subsidy we're providing is far, far larger than the state recognizes to start with before you even start subtracting 50% and all that. And it varies depending on where you are in the city and what growth is expected in that area of the city. So the, what, the way the process works is a contractor tries to work with the city to figure all that out. How should the fees vary and by zone? Then there's a committee that's been formed that's composed of investors, developers, uh, some neighborhood-type people, um, a variety of perspectives. They they are reviewing the contractor's judgment about what things will cost where. Okay. And generally, I think from people I've talked to, if there's uncertainty that a road will be widened or whatever, they're kind of leaving it out. Okay. So they're, they're basically likely to underestimate. Sure. They do that, and then then the committee says, okay, we have a kind of a consensus that we think this is fair and just and represents the cost of things. Then that goes to city council, and now they have a number. The choice that we're talking about at city council is do I continue to subsidize growth for an, an individual investor and their partners in a neighborhood or do I not subsidize at all, or a little bit, or a lot, or a whole lot, you know? So I can go anywhere from here up to about 50%. I can't go beyond that because the law says you're going to get that back in taxes. So you could go up to about 50% roughly of that and say, we can't afford to subsidize that much anymore. Now, and that's going to have to be part of a really big picture decision by the council because a lot of other things are happening, Charles. If I'm, if I'm subsidizing a new starter home out in the suburbs, I'm competing with the renewal of an older existing neighborhood. I'm funding a young couple, a young millennial couple to go there and not here. So there are a lot of cascading effects of subsidizing investors. And especially subsidizing 
long transportation, a lot of driving, density on the highways, congestion. That comes from that out there, and it doesn't come from this in here as much. We've got, a, and we've talked about this before, we've got a large area of the city that is technically in decline. HUD would look at it and say, look at the houses, sidewalks, streets, conditions. It's in decline because the next generation won't drive onto that street, look at it and say, I want to buy here. Mm -hmm. And that's what causes decline. It's the market that makes the neighborhood decline. We need reinvestment in the center of the city in some of those neighborhoods because if you look, for example, at the College Station crime map, it is literally identical to the map that we've done of the neighborhoods in in decline. Mm. The crime map? Crime map. Oh, okay. Look at schools being depopulated. Mm -hmm. Families with children drive on the street, look around and say, I can't live here. Well, the school in that area then gets depopulated. We've got kids busing all the way from Pebble Creek to the middle of the city. You can create magnet schools, you can do things to try to use that facilities, but they're basically, you know, uh, there's all kinds of collateral effects and very complicated things tied together when you subsidize growth, distant growth, and you have such debt, you can't take care of maintenance of the existing city. And um, there's not a right answer or a wrong answer. Right. There is a very intelligent, informed decision that experienced. We, we have a very experienced city council right now, and they've lived through a lot of this over the years. And I'm, I'm interested to see how they try to balance that out. I think what you're arguing in a sense here with bringing in the concept of declining neighborhoods in some areas is that uh, the use of impact fees by the council could play some some role in helping to kind of drive development in different areas of the city? Is that what you're hoping? I believe so. Okay. And and they don't have to charge the same fee to, to yeah. everybody. And as, as I understand it, uh, the, they are allowed to scale the fee okay. to try to, to, to work a need. And, and I think, so if you look at the fee system, um, you really, you, you can obviously see the opportunity if, if our affordable housing problem is partly very poor people, but the mass of the affordable housing is millennials who simply can't get in a house. Right. Those that can get have a down payment from their parents, basically, yeah. by and large. And we need to figure out how to make all housing under about 200000 to 250000 cheaper. Or, or, and we, and so we could be saying, okay, let's subsidize that more. I'm not going to call it impact fee anymore. I'm going to say, but, but as far as the million dollar house further out in, in, or some other areas that really do bring higher development costs because of their distance, let's not subsidize those so much. And people say, well, that's unfair that they get a subsidy and I don't know that. Well, it's a policy decision, right. and it should be based on the facts of what's going on in your city. Um, do you do you have? If we can't bring the millennial workforce, we can't bring the tech industry that they work for. The tech industry will come here. They'll look at us and they'll, metaphorically, they'll drive on our street and say, "My people don't want to live here at this cost." 
and they won't come. And and it's that's it, like a like I'm trying to suggest this the decision the council needs to make right now is a really complicated connected one to how do you want your city to grow and what do you want to subsidize you know you're a government subsidizing a private entity and it's it's uh, I'm, I can say it's going to be interesting yeah and people who have thoughts on that you know I've really encouraged them to share those with city leadership um, uh, they're they are from what I've seen, they're really trying to be thoughtful and find a good path forward, and they're very aware of the affordable housing issue in our city. Uh, so what specifically can be done, in your opinion, to um, help the affordable housing issue in College Station related to what we've been talking about today? Uh, as I understand it, the, if you're talking about targeting that millennial or that starter home family with young children, you can simply scale back specifically a certain range of price of homes. And you can say, we will subsidize those more, meaning not have as much impact fee. Sure. And, uh, and I think, personally, I think that seems viable. Yeah. But as far as truly low-income housing goes, there are cities who simply waive an impact fee. Okay. Now, you're not in those neighborhoods likely to see large 300-home developments like you sure. would in open rural land. Right. But there'll be one house at a time or uh, maybe two or three houses at a time. But that revitalization is really critical. And I, I can rationalize waiving, meaning fully subsidizing all the connection utilities to that. Most of them are in, in close in the city where you don't have yeah. very much connection cost anyway. But um, that serves a really important purpose. It's really important that we start getting some of our older neighborhoods to turn over. And there's kind of a secondary need there. It, it's the crime thing, and it's, it's ownership. And home ownership is so critical in our culture. And, and so I've got, I've got a lot of reasons where I would really be comfortable with a complete waiver for a certain range of homes. What would that range be? Well, you know, I've, when I was still working with CSAN, I built their GIS map system, and we could look right. at a lot of different issues, and you can just do a color-coded map of water home prices. And, um, and I think there's, uh, as you guys know well, there's not much under 150. It, it doesn't exist in College Station. Um, for so you're, you're under 250, I think. Maybe maybe you could say under 200. There's a fair yeah. amount of housing stock under 200 in College Station, far more in Bryan. But if you really look at the map, it's it's. Uh, there's, there, I would tend to waiver under 200, and I would give a discount up to 250, um, or extra. Mm. So I don't want to call it a discount. I want to call it less impact fee or more more subsidizing. So. Um, that, that, again, numbers like that, I'm not an expert, somebody yeah. who really needs to study the buying trends and who buys what. The other part of doing that, though, is you have to make sure that it doesn't end up in the hands of a rental investor, a, a large uh, developer doing rental investment with hundreds of units for ag checks. And, and owner occupied or it, it needs to be owner occupied or you're not achieving the purpose that we need to achieve right now. And that's not anything against students. They need housing too. Right. But that should be true high density housing. 
and not single family homes. And it, in my opinion, it makes much more sense. Okay. So the last thing I wanted to ask you is, as far as what you understand, you're not in city government, but it seems like you're following this issue. Uh, what are kind of the next steps here? Again, we're in November 2021. Are, is the city going to make a decision this month? Or are they thinking no, about it more? Yeah, uh, uh, I don't know that, Charles. Yeah. I don't know what path they're on. Uh, the committee, the mm -hmm. impact fee committee will review the study. Okay. They'll may iterate some, who knows. And, but they will eventually endorse the study and then it'll be presented to city council. And now that's one thing going on. At the same time, a different thing going on is the city has asked the administration to go back, study the future yeah. and give them some numbers. Okay. These are two different efforts and I'm not sure what kind of timeline the administrative effort is on either. Yeah. So stepwise, those two things will happen. It'll be presented to city council and they may go look for more public input. I don't know. They've had quite a bit. Um, but at, by then you're really starting to formulate some solid ideas about what's going to be proposed and, and you'll have things that the public can kind of, they can test with the public, I think. Um, the exact process, I don't know what that is or what yeah. the timeline is. Okay. And the, then as far as, um, I'm sure you've heard a lot of the arguments coming from uh, the other side, you know, that really dislikes um, impact fees. But if you could sum it up just in a couple of sentences, how you would respond to those who are just like impact fees are, you know, not fair or what have you. Uh, do you have kind of a, a summary idea of how would you respond to them with your side well interestingly to start with no one's in, in favor of impact fees no one's in favor of reducing the subsidy we pay today to private investors to develop neighborhoods nobody is not csan not nobody everybody is sitting and saying sitting here saying 300 million in debt second highest in the state how fragile is all this stuff that looks good right now and 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 year after year that debt keeps going up and you can make a list of everything that we've gone out and borrowed for every bit of it year after year after year is growth it's related to growth and so it's not about impact fees it's really about how do you feel about debt are you going to keep piling up debt and just saying that's all that my kids to worry about it kind of like we're doing on a national level. I'm not down with that. I think that's irresponsible. If you don't like impact fees, meaning if you want to continue subsidies to private companies, government subsidy to a private company, then tell me where you're going to get the money from to solve the debt problem. It has to be sales tax or increased property tax. Now, how much should that be? Now we did that in 2015. That was we we, made, we bumped both of those because mm -hmm. of debt rising, mm -hmm. and that was the same year we said this should be a reduced subsidy. We should do impact fees because this debt doesn't belong to everybody in the city. You got a neighborhood out here of eight hundred thousand dollar homes. Why is a neighborhood over here of one hundred and fifty thousand dollar homes paying taxes to subsidize that kind of growth? when we're not also not seeing internal renewal, and none, really virtually none, uh, 
except for maybe Southside. So, um, so that, that would be my thought is what are you going to do about debt? Start with that. Can, can you do something over here, over here, over there? One of the options, just one, is should you be paying this much subsidy to people building $500,000, $800,000 houses and encouraging more and more and more distant growth? I think Bryce's podcast is brought to you by Bryan College Station Habitat for Humanity. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Alexa. We'd love to hear from you and what you think of our content. You can send us an email at thinkbrasses at gmail.com or message us through social media. Thanks for listening. And just remember, think local, think Brazzes. Think Brazzes.